This is Transistor.fm. Hello and welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind-the-scenes story of building a web app in 2020. I'm Justin Jackson and John's not here. And today we've got Ward Sandler, like Adam Sandler, from Memberspace. How's it going, Ward? Hey, hey Justin. I'm good. Uh, I've known you for a little while. I, we met at MicroConf originally, I think. Yeah, yeah, a few years ago. I, I think it was actually time. more than a few years ago. I think it's been, I think we first met five years ago, I want to say. Yeah, I'll go with your memory on that one. That sounds right. Has that much time passed? So let's see here, because <laughs> I remember I just published Marketing for Developers, and that was 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. And now it's 2020, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember my partner actually bought that book. Uh, that was He liked it a lot. <laughs> so you have, how long have you been doing member space then? Uh, since 2015. So yeah, it's, it's all about that year, apparently. Wow. Okay, so that's right when you started it. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, you started it as a way of adding like paid memberships to Squarespace. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, then you've evolved it since then, right? Now you do other, uh, not just Squarespace. Yeah, yeah. Now it's available on any CMS, Wix, Webflow, WordPress, all, all anything like that. And like us, you also have a co-founder, right? Mm-hmm. It's just two of you? Yeah, me and my uh, co-founder, Ryan, we have a, a minor partner, Roger, uh, and then we have um, we have two full-time employees outside of that, and then a bunch of contractors. Yeah, so I think like today, I mean, we're, we're gonna, we can also do a, a typical build your SaaS, like, you know, what are you working on? What are you thinking about? What are you struggling with? Uh, but I also just have questions, and uh, we have a lot of listeners that I think could benefit from another viewpoint other than mine and John's. And one of the questions we get all the time is how do you find a co-founder? So how did you guys find each other? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. Um, well, we definitely didn't find each other to start a business. That's for sure. We went to college or, or university together. Um, went to Stevens Institute of Technology, which most people haven't heard of, but it's a, a small engineering college in Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, okay. Yeah. And, uh, we were actually in the same fraternity together, believe it or not. Um, oh, wow. Yep. Can you, and, just a si- <laughs> quick sidebar because yeah. fraternities are not a thing here in Canada. Mm. What is it? Is it just like a club? <laughs> is it like, what, is, what so, <laughs> what's the deal with fraternities? Yeah. So at Stevens where we went to, to, to college, it was, um, mostly men. Uh, it, it was, uh, so, you know, as with most STEM type stuff there, it's, it skews towards, towards men, at least back then, which was, you know, we're talking about 2004. Um, okay. so, yeah. um, it was mostly guys. And so the way that you have a party is you go to fraternities. That's, that's what, that's just where the parties were. It was just groups of guys. It's kind of like a social club is a way to think of it. It's a social, social club that has silly rituals. If you want to call it that, um, that you yeah. need to get in, Nothing weird, like the movies and television it wildly exaggerates what it's like. It's not, it's not super weird like that. It's just, yeah, it's all of us Canadians are over <laughs> on this side going, what the heck is going on? 
Yeah, no, it's just it's just drinking, um, hanging out, uh, camaraderie. You know, having just a group of, a group of people that you're friendly with. Like, it's a way to like essentially create a giant group of friends very quickly because like right suddenly away. you have like thirty people that are like close friends and will like almost do anything to for you to help you with school. Like a lot of it was studying together. Even like you know it doesn't need to be parties and. It, it was actually really nice. You just kind of get this nice boost of, of a lot of friendship. Um, you're the center of social activity, at least at our college. And then afterwards, you have this nice alumni network. Um, so yeah, I, I, I liked every part of it. And and that allowed you to meet uh, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a year older than me, and uh, yeah, he was already there. And we just kind of were friends. We we didn't we weren't friends at first, but. Um, after hanging out for for a little while, we, we became friends, and then we eventually worked at the same startup together. Um, okay, it was called, called TaxStream, and we sold the. Uh, it sounds boring as hell, but it was called it was uh, tax software, like enterprise tax software, um, which okay. sounds so boring, but it was actually really fun. Just the people that were there was like the coolest group of people. Everybody was just super chill, which you wouldn't have expected. Um, yeah, and just young and energetic, and it was great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that the group you're with actually kind of determines everything. And so you you folks started working there right after college together? Yeah, like we I actually started there as like an intern during college and Ryan started as an intern there even before that. He was like one of like the first like 20 or 30 employees, so he had like okay. some some equity even, like private equity. Yeah. So do you think working together before you partnered up was helpful? Uh in a way, I mean we didn't it was weird. Like we both did the same thing. We were sales. Um, so we didn't like, you don't really work together in sales too much. You're kind of doing yeah. your, you're kind of in your own lane, you know, going on your own hunts, if, if you will. I didn't realize you guys were sales people. Yeah. That's your, your backgrounds in sales. Yeah. Both of us. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. This, this changes. Cause I mean the, the dynamic that John and I have is kind of the one that everyone's looking for, right? It's like a, mostly technical person and then a non-technical person that can do all the other stuff. Um, but you two, neither of you had a tech background or you, you were tech plus sales. Um, so yeah, we both didn't have any technical background. Ryan is definitely more of a natural engineer though. He started actually doing mechanical engineering in college and then switched to business, but he definitely has an engineer's mind. So. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So now the next part is I I remember you folks were an agency first before you started member space. So like after that startup, you and Ryan went on on your own or Yeah. So like that startup got acquired by a giant company called Thomson Reuters. So they bought us. Okay. Um and then things got not fun anymore. Everything got <laughs> super lame and exactly what you'd imagine would happen when a big company buys you. Yeah. <laughs> now the the one caveat here is we were paid well. That was that was the nice part. Because um, if you sell expensive software to large companies, you you make good commissions. And I'm not saying that to humble brag. I'm saying that because it's actually important in the story. Because it essentially gave us funding to go do the next thing without having to be stressed about making a bunch of money or how are we going to pay rent. Yeah. 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 That's that is key, isn't it? All right. So you had enough money. Like you guys quit your jobs together, and then you started working on this thing, or uh, you were working on this thing while you were working, f- working full time. Yeah. So when, when we were at, we were acquired by Thomson Reuters and then me and Ryan just kind of always were sort of entrepreneurial. So we had like just ideas we used to bounce back and forth, you know, like everybody does mostly horrible mm-hmm. ideas. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
we just kind of figured one day, like we kind of picked something. I don't even remember what it was. It was, it was another bad idea, but we were like, wait, okay, cool. Let's do this. But then we were like, wait, who's going to, how are we going to do that? And it's like, oh, I guess we got to hire someone to like program software. And then we were, yeah. they were like, then I started thinking like, wait, that's fine. But what if I want to like change the button color or like the text? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got to yeah. hire somebody to do everything. Like that sounds terrible. Like I, I'm yeah. someone who likes to be in control of things and like have everything a certain way. Like I, I'm like design and stuff like that. So for me, that, that was unacceptable. I couldn't just, they would think I'm a crazy person if I had to call them every time to change a button text or color. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I can, I can get that. Yeah. So we were both like, all right, let's, you know, a, a little bit of just being naive. We're like, well, why don't we just try learning how to program? Let's see how crazy this is. Like it's at the time, I'm, I'm, I'm sure some people can relate to this. If you're not like a, if you don't have a technical background or didn't go to college for this, yeah. um, programming sounds like this like magical power that only these people that make it to the top of the mountain can do like they're the the most genius people in the world and a lot of them are very intelligent but programming is uh, in my mind after we started learning it, it it's it's like learning a language it's like learning spanish if you if you only know english it's it's not any harder or easier than that i'd say it, it's it's you have to learn syntax and, and learn how typing this does that on the screen and and it doesn't do that if you type it wrong and, and it's like that so we read yeah. like a basic html css book and then we both loved it got like super excited cuz i could like change the color of the background of the page and that was like crazy and then we're like whoa we have magic powers um, <laughs> <laughs> you're just a couple of sales bros learning some html exactly then, nothing wrong um, with that <laughs> <laughs> so like after that book it was called head first by the way i think they still have a new edition it was an ex- excellent book super like really breaks down step by step how to do this if you know absolutely nothing which is what we were starting at um so after that book i kind of went more on the design direction he went more in the back end like he was he was like this is cool but like how do we make a form work how do we like store something in a database and i was like i don't really care about that i want to like yeah. make the button and the font pairing look good and so like it was perfect he started reading a php book and i started reading more like design and css books and so we just kind of naturally diverged and that's how we learned things and we started consulting on the side real quick starting with my uncle uncle larry who's a lawyer in florida <laughs> Uh, yes. Yep. Everybody needs an uncle Larry in Florida yep. to be the first client. <laughs> yep. This is interesting. Like, so, and so the idea was you two are hanging out and you're like, we got to start something. And then as you're thinking about ideas to start, you, you think, well, we have to be able to build it in some way. And so then you just naturally started learning things together, but then eventually you diverged and you did design and Ryan did kind of backend PHP programming. Yeah. The logic side. And we started with Larry, we built his site. And then from there, just, you know, we're hustling and looking, looking for jobs on Craigslist, uh, going to networking things, like just getting all of those terrible low end projects that are out there um, with terrible clients um, because that's what you got to do when you're first starting. It just kind of sucks, but it was fun for us. Cause like we, we looked at it as being paid to learn. So we were getting paid money to learn things and it's like, okay, cool. And we were still working at Thompson Reuters, by the way, at this point. So what was driving the hunger? Was it just like your day job was so boring and bad that you were like, we've got to build, you know, we got to carve out our own little piece of the pie here or yeah i mean like with sale is a bit of a tangent but with sales anyone who's done sales out there it's it is kind of it is exciting like especially at first when there's like whoa like you gotta like call somebody and like get them to buy something it's it's kind of exhilarating um especially when you get a yes 
and then you get a nice commission check from it. So, um, but the problem with sales is if you do it long enough, it's basically like a logic tree. Like if I say this, you're going to respond with like one of one to three different things. And then from there I have three responses and I, then you might object to that one. And then I have another three responses and, th- and then the tree ends. Like it usually ends with a, either you're going to, you're going to buy or call you back <laughs> or Wait, no. So you, you have it quantified down to some like that map. No, I didn't, like, I never wrote, I, I, well, I did actually write it out um, to help with training for other people that did, that did the job after me. But um, yeah, yeah, basically it really does. It, the, any, and if you're trying to sell anything, it, there's just a logic tree of yes, no, maybe, and then objections. And then eventually just ends with them moving forward, them saying no, or them saying, you know, basically call them back or email them back later. The, the patterns are that frequent. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a it, it's a pretty decent sized tree, but uh, you know, after a certain amount of calls, you learn. I learned all the different ways of you would say no. All the the best the best highest chance response I could give to get you to go to maybe, and then yeah. from there get you to yes or or no. And then I know that if you said no at that point, there's nothing I could have said that would have changed your mind. It was done. Okay, so like I'm I'm a purchaser at Exxon, and you call me like cold. A lot of times we're calling like VPs of tax or like okay. the, com- the comptroller, sometimes the CTO, depend on the size. Sometimes I spoke to CFOs if it was like a medium-sized business. But you're yeah. not just going okay. to call, call the CFO of like, you know, some like Cisco or something. But, but w- were these cold calls? <laughs> yeah, a lot of them. Okay. So you get someone on the line and what do you say to me? Like what's your, what's your opening line? Oh boy, I'm trying to even remember. Um, well, first, I don't even get to talk to you first. Usually, you have to get past the secretary. Okay, <laughs> they all they all have a secretary, and yeah. that person is their job is to not let you talk to them <laughs> because they know that they're, they're the busy. gatekeeper. Mm-hmm, the gatekeeper, and so okay. you got to learn. So yeah, we had, I'm trying to remember what the phrase was, but it was something along the lines of "I'm calling regards um, to Sarbanes Oxley compliance." Because that's what our software helped you with: be compliant with uh, Sarbanes Oxley. And, and when they hear the magic word compliance. Now yeah. they'd be in trouble if they didn't say something to their boss about compliance because, oh, it's about yeah. compliance. That's important. So that gets you past okay. the <laughs> Okay. So you make it past my secretary. Now you're yep. talking to me. Now I'm just imagining if it's me, like let's say that I do have a gatekeeper and you get through to me and then I get the transfer and I realize I'm talking to a salesperson. I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what, how do what do you do next? Like what you get me on the line, I go, okay, Hey, Justin here. What do you say next? Oh man, it's been so long. I'm trying to remember. It's, it's almost been, it's been like eight years since I did this. Um, but yeah, it was something along the lines of like, you know, calling again about, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance. Just curious, you know, what are you using right now to, to stay compliant? So just kind of get, uh, get them uh, to start talking. Books online, small business edition. <laughs> Right, said no CFO ever. Um, <laughs> of a large company. I mean, they're okay, all paying so th- for something. That's that's the interesting part about this market is they're all paying for something. Uh, they're because at that level of a business. Let's say I have an existing solution, and I go, you know, we're fine with our existing solution. Is that the end of the call, or what do you do then? Oh no, then I mean, this is, goes back to that tree. Like, depending on what solution you said, I have a mm. few responses of things I know they don't do well that I know our software does do, and I'll bring those up immediately. Be like, I, I hear you. I get that you're busy. Um, yeah. Does I know that you know X doesn't do Y, and we do Y really well. Does that matter to you at all? And just kind of get them to like, like I know it matters to you. That's but I'm asking it in a way that isn't like me cramming it down your throat. Yeah. And okay, here's an interesting thing about that is that 
I often find when salespeople use those on me, they're fishing and it doesn't hit a nerve at all. Like usually I'm just like, no, like, no, it doesn't matter. It's like, but had you identified like these are just open exposed nerves that everybody, like who identified that? Was that you as a salesperson or is that somebody ahead of you that's tracking patterns and going, oh, wait a second, you know, we know for sure that if you say these words, it's going to trigger a response. Yeah, I mean, I'd say if a salesperson had done something like that to you and it didn't hit a nerve, they're not very good, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't know what to say. And that, like, it's not just yeah. we do this and the other person doesn't. It's we do this and we know that's important to a company like you. Um, yeah. And, and so, and how, we did, know how did that you you're discover that? Pain. Well, yeah, it's it's some of it is our previous bosses would kind of give us tips and hints, and part of it's trial and error, like learning. After you know, if you get a client and you start implementing our software, and they're like, "Oh, I'm, you guys do this thing so much better than our last solution," it's like, "Oh, I didn't know that. Good to know." And then I make a note, and then for the next person I talk to, I can bring that. Yeah, up. it's sales is one of those interesting things that if you happen to get a hold of somebody who's hungry, then you, you know they're thankful you called, right? Like today, I've been calling around because I'm in Canada. But I get paid, almost all of my payments come in as USD, uh, US dollars, and which is great. That's, that's exactly what I want. Uh, the problem is I can lose literally hundreds of dollars a month if I'm not converting those USD to Canadian efficiently. And it's tricky because there's lots of personal banking products. <laughs> this is super boring to people. Anyway, it's tricky. The, the point is like if... And every person I talk to, like that I call, doesn't know what I'm talking about. Like I have to go through a whole thing. If somebody called me that clearly knew what they were talking about and wasn't a jackass, I would be like overjoyed. But that just seems like, I think a lot of people, even in SaaS, struggle with this. How do you observe a repeatable pattern of pain or friction? or like an exposed nerve and then find those people in an efficient way. And you know what I mean? Like, ha- have you been able to take any of that sales stuff over to member space? Yeah. Um, I'd say the main thing, like we don't do like one-on-one sales like that anymore. Cause the only, re- you only would do that generally is if you're at a certain, you're selling a really expensive piece of software and our, and our software is not like, super expensive. So, but what we did take over is, the level of follow-up and communication that you need when you're selling at the enterprise level, which is mm-hmm. really good email follow-up, being really clear about things, scheduling meetings, all those little details, like no ball ever gets dropped. And by b- both me and Ryan having that experience and bringing that at first into consulting, especially mm-hmm. for those low-end projects, it would blow people out of the water, our level of communication. Because you know, I think developers and tech companies in general kind of get a bad rep for having like bad communication and like yeah. not following up and being, just disappearing. We hear that yeah. all the time. And so our approach was like, we were, we were treating you as if you were like, you know, a million dollar project, enterprise project I was trying to close, even though you paid us $500 for a website. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, they, that blew people out, out of the water in terms of like loving us, referring us to other people. Um, just being really happy in general. Yeah, isn't that funny how like different contexts? I mean, because before I got into tech, I was working for in the nonprofit industry, and nonprofit workers 
work their asses off. They work like a hundred times harder than anybody else. And I remember getting this job at this startup and my, one of my coworkers after the first week pulled me aside and said, dude, you have to slow down. Like you're in some ways you're making us look bad. Like, and I felt like, I felt like my whole life had just switched to easy mode. Like the, the, it was just a completely different context. Like every, yeah, it was so strange. And so you had that experience, like sales at the enterprise level and the way you experienced it was kind of at this level, this level of communication, this level of follow-up. And then you bring that into, you know, doing websites for people. And it's like, okay, (laughs) this is, we're really killing it here. Like the, the, the competition isn't even close. Yeah. That's hilarious. And then that naturally we brought that to member space in terms of like how to provide support for people. Right. Cause it's just like following up, following up again, if they didn't follow up just to be like, Hey, was everything clear in that last message? Um, you know, hopping on the call to talk to people, just again, treating everybody like they're paying you a million bucks doesn't even if they're not it really makes a difference in terms of how they their their perceived value and then their their loyalty and their ability to kind of roll with punches if you have bugs or issues or whatever down the line yeah yeah i like that so i mean the other question that we get all the time on this show is people are looking for an idea how how did the idea for member space come about yeah so i, I got to give uh, amy hoy uh credit here with the sales safari concept i'm sure you're aware of it but um for people that aren't um, you know, just Google Amy Hoy 30 by 500. Um, she's got like a whole, uh, I guess it's like a class or boot camp of sorts you can buy. Um, yeah. but Did you I take basically, that? no, okay. <laughs> that was cheap. <laughs> I reverse engineered essentially from her blog post where she would allude to the concepts and kind of give general ideas. But uh, the quick summary is with the sales safari, um, instead of trying to come up with idea, instead you should look at uh, watering holes where people are already talking about things, complaining about problems. So things like public forums, uh, review sites, uh, uh, feature up, up, um, like feature boards where you like click to move that feature higher up. I can't think of the phrase for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But that yeah. that kind of a thing where like people are already communicating and talking about what they want, what's not working. So we did that in Squarespace when, when we were just building websites on Squarespace. I went to their forum and it was like. You could view view by topic, and I sort of by most viewed topic, and it was like a hundred thousand views for how do I add memberships to Squarespace? And we're just like, oh boy, um, we had been asked this by a few of our customers, um, and so I just kind of started reading through every single response, which is what Amy says to do. Like this is the boring work that other people aren't going to do, but you do, so you can really get a really rich set of data without having to go out and find those people. They're right. They're already talking. They're right there. Um, and so I, I, I read through every comment in terms of what people liked, didn't like about existing solutions, pricing, features, blah, blah, blah. And you, and you document all this, right? You have a, a nice Excel sheet or whatever that you're keeping track of all this data. And that's how we came up with one. Clearly, there was a need. There was like the solutions out there were terrible and people hated them. And they were still buying it because there was no no one else. There was nothing else. So we're like, okay, there's obviously a market here of people that are willing to pay. I don't have to guess. I I know that for a fact. It's right. There's data right there in front of me, and that that validates it for you. And so then we also use that to shape. Okay, what's actually the MVP here? And so we launched something with the most basic possible feature set for free, 
to this to this to the to the forum users by basically just replying to the thread and some Facebook groups, and then we got initial traction with free, you know free, got to a hundred free people pretty quick. Because if if it's a market where people are willing to pay for something, you can get a hundred free people pretty quick already to just try, beta test something, and then from there you just start iterating. Was that was the idea of launching it free because you just felt like it wasn't enough to charge people for, or it, it's actually it's it's funnier than that. So like we were so MVP that we couldn't bill people to use member space yet. Okay. Because we actually used member space to run member space. So gotcha. we were like, well, if we can't charge people, if it, you know, we, we, our customers won't, can't charge people, then neither can we. Uh, so yeah. it's like, okay, we're all in this together. <laughs> and was there other competitor, competitors at this point? There were, but it, competitor is a pretty generous term. It, it, you know, probably one, one developer guy, uh, you know, in a basement somewhere who's got some like crappy product he wrote that doesn't you know, really do much support. <laughs> gotcha. And like Memberful was already around, but they didn't do Squarespace. Right. And Memberful is more of like for WordPress. Like, yeah, they, they don't do Squarespace. Um, and yeah, like the idea with, and just, I don't know if we really made it clear before, but what Memberspace does is it, it allows you to, uh, turn any part of your website into members only with just like a few clicks. So you don't yeah. need to be technical. You don't need a plugin. It just bolts right into your existing website, Squarespace, Webflow, whatever, and just turns any page or section into members only. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, you were probably also hitting this kind of developing wave of interest at that time of, you know, there's more people self-publishing, there's more people building these quote-unquote lifestyle businesses, uh, you know, the, the make money online crowd is starting yeah, to coaching. get really get fired up and coaching. And did you have a sense of that? Like, do you have a sense of like, whoa, like there is, there is this kind of growing wave of interest or did you feel like you were too ahead of it or maybe just there at the right time? How did you feel like you kind of approached all that, that stuff, your timing? To be honest, we, we didn't even realize we were, we were in a wave, which we definitely are in, but we didn't mm-hmm. quite realize it. All I, all I knew for sure was that there are 100,000 people who are interested in this topic, in, at least from Squarespace. That's all sorry, I uh, how many? There was 100,000 people in that forum, that, that, that forum post that I, that I was talking about where they talked about memberships. There was 100,000 views to that, to that topic. There was a, I must have missed that. There's 100,000 views. Wow. Okay, so you... <laughs> That's, so that's, that's all pretty, I knew is that there was something going on there. Pretty that people clear to, signal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting because, you know, I've been using this metaphor of surfing. And when people are, are thinking about like, how do I find an idea, right? You're basically, what you're looking for is a good wave. And to me, the wave is market demand. The more you kind of like observe you know, folks like you and other people who have started businesses and you dig into the story, you realize that there is a general shape to demand. Like you can start to see it. And one of those, one of those shapes is like, is it, where is, where has demand been demonstrated? And so like a forum post that has a hundred thousand views, that's a pretty good indicator. Like if you're sitting in the water on your surfboard, that maybe that's worth paddling over and investigating that wave, right? Yeah. And I mean, you also had the, the benefit of initially launching on this platform, uh, Squarespace, that had massive traction, right? 
like at the time they're they're I mean they're probably still the leaders in that space, right? Yeah. Aside I mean, from we, WordPress. We had done a lot of consulting too. Like we had a lot of Squarespace specific experience. Like we were one of the top agencies, I'd I think in terms of volume in, in the world in we had built over four hundred Squarespace sites. Oh wow. So like we had a lot of, of like so we were known in that community as well. So like we had that going for us. We weren't just coming out of the blue. And so it wasn't enough that you had a few people requesting it in your consulting practice. Like that didn't kind of trigger any thoughts. It was like, man, not, not really. No, because I mean, I, I think our consulting practice, if you like uh, of, of all the people that use Squarespace, what percentage care about memberships is maybe 10% tops. Mm. So from our consulting practice, if you're not talking about a big number, 10% of not of a small number, it, it, just, it didn't, didn't really register. It's like, oh yeah, this is this thing we hear about sometimes, but you know, no, but when it's brought to the context of, all of Squarespace, a hundred thousand views of a topic. Now it's like, oh, this is actually a big mar- sub market within Squarespace. Yeah, I still think there's part of that experience that's instructive because the, the what led you to the Squarespace forums was the fact that you were already kind of sitting in the Squarespace waters, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> right? And the like, I often uh, advise people like, if you don't have any good ideas, start with consulting. Because it will at least lead you to industries and product categories that, like, you might have an understanding. I mean, most people have, like, kind of an understanding of how Squarespace works and that people use it. But until you're in it, until you're, like, getting those phone calls every day, until you're, like, you're going through the forums all the time to find answers to your own problems, until you're, like, really in that ecosystem – and in it for a while, like how long were you consulting for before you started Memberful? Memberspace. Um, uh, Memberspace. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Every, everyone's got, uses the word member now in their, in their <laughs> software. Um, let's see. We had been doing Squarespace sites since I want to say 2012 and Memberspace was 2015. So like three years. Three years. Yeah. See, that's a fair amount of time to be just swimming around earning money being relating to those clients and the clients I'm guessing are the same people, right? The people who are buying Squarespace sites from your agency, those are the same. I I mean, you said it might be only 10% of your business before, but the, the, the target market is still Squarespace site owners, at least initially. Right. Which can be extrapolated to small business owners for the most part, or people just starting a business. Okay. So you decide to start member space and you put out this MVP, you get 100 free people. So what happened after that? What did you, how did you figure it out? Yes, I mean, you know, this is kind of the classic. You're sort of scrambling to build the features that people are requesting the most. Um, and I think at that stage of, of a, you know, it's not even a business yet because we're not charging people. Uh, but mm-hmm. at that stage of, of a thing, uh, you pretty quickly hear what's the most common request. Like right away, people are like, this is cool, but... I want to be able to charge people for access. Like essentially what we were was like a gate, a, a gate where you have to enter in your email address and then you get access to a page. That's all we were doing. Yeah. Which for a lot of people, that's actually all they needed. That, yeah. that, that core thing. Um, and, but then the very obvious next feature was you need to be able to charge people, but that's a bigger feature you know, to build, build it out with Stripe and all that. It's not trivial. So, um, there are other sub things that people wanted to like, Oh, MailChimp integration or, Oh, can I export my list of members? So like you, you vary. And then instead of just doing whatever anyone asked, you just kind of let it bubble for, for a little bit. And then mm-hmm. 
you can just quickly tell what to build next. And that's easy. Uh, and that's all very clear, I think, up to a point. And I'm, maybe you're at that point now with Transistor, but you get to the point where it's like, okay, all the major big things are are done for the most part. It's like now it's like the medium size bits and small bits that we have to like, it's really hard to pick what to do next. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, if we have time, because I, I want to get, I want to get past your, your early stage stuff, but that would be good to talk about. It's just the, the challenge of, because in some ways you are similar, you probably don't have as many competitors as we do. But you have competitors that have similar feature sets. And I think <laughs> one thing that's been challenging for us now is initially we were, and you actually had this too, initially you're just the best option because you're the newest, you're the most well thought out. Everything else is like maybe really old and crusty or just hasn't been updated in a while. So just being the fresh face is helpful on its own, but eventually, (laughs) you know, that wears off and then there's new competitors coming on and it's, yeah, figuring out, okay. And we're all like using the same tech stack. We're all, you know, there's everybody's, you know, it's so trivial for our competitors to look and see what graphing library we're using and just implement that in their own app. How have you and Ryan dealt with that so far? Yeah, I mean, it's something we're still dealing with. You know, I don't have a good answer for it, really. It's it, the thing I, I've been I've read the most is you know focus on your customer, not on your competitors, right? Mm-hmm. I think we've all heard that. It's easier said than done, but it's uh, you know what? Why would people pick you? Like, there's there's like for us, you said that we don't have that many competitors compared to you, but I'd say we have we have a lot of like tangentially related competitors like Teachable, for example, or, you know, Podia or Gumroad. There's always like anyone who wants to like sell something online is kind of a competitor, which makes our market enormous. And it means that, so it's like, we're, we're a niche within a niche. It's like, okay, if you want to keep people on your website the entire time and have full control over the design, that's what member space is for. But like, there's all these like little things right around there that are close. Um, so for us, it's, it's like, how do we stay in, stay in our lane and stick to the lane and not try to expand and be more like a teachable and more, you know, more like X. And that, that's hard. Um, cause people keep telling you, why don't you do this though? That's, that's what we want. But it's like, you want that, but not everyone else wants that. Yes. And that's it, Yeah. So it's, you know, focusing on your customer. Yes. That's an easy thing to say, but it's like, well, but what does that mean exactly? Like, and where, where are the edges of that? <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing that's been helpful, is it just still you and Ryan or do you have some employees now too? Yeah. Uh, I'd say, so we have, uh, we have, we have three full-time support people, me, Ryan, and then we have a bunch of developers. Um, and then we have a couple other contractors as well. Okay. Wow. When you say a bunch of developers, you mean like contract developers? Yeah. Like they're, they're an agency that we, we contract four of their people full-time um, for us. Yeah. So we have like 10, 10 full-time folks all, all in. Wow. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big team. I, yeah. I think one thing that's been helpful for John and I, at least right now, and I obviously, obviously this could change, but we just do not desire to really grow the team. Like we don't really. And so when, when people request things, 
sometimes it feels like our math as founders is off when like a, a customer comes in and goes, well, if you offered this, you know, I would sign up or all the people in my industry would sign up. But whenever I've like gone down those paths and like looked into it, I'm like, that just seems like so much additional stuff that I'm adding and way more risk. And I, and so, you know, one thing that's been helpful, I think for, for us, at least again, this could change. We just might be naive, but going, you know, here's the type of customers that these type of customers just sign up and enjoy the product. And we only hear from them when we onboard them. And after that, we don't hear from them. They're just happy to use the product. But then there's another type of customer that looks and smells like enterprise customers. And it's like, the, these folks are just so difficult. And, and people keep telling me, well, no, they're worth it once you get them online. But, you know, if I need to have a lawyer on retainer for every deal and I need to have a, a person that can fill out RFPs and security questionnaires and, you know, it's like, man, that, that just doesn't feel right. But it is challenging figuring out what is staying in your lane. There's that. And there's also like, you know, Paul Jarvis comes to mind with a company of one mindset mm-hmm. of like, well, how big do you want to be? Because like if you want to be a, you know, $50 million a year business, then you can't just be like a niche within a niche. Like that's yeah. not how that would work. Yeah. Um, and if you don't want to be that, then you have to be okay with a lot of people complaining all the time because you're a niche within a niche. Yes. Um, at least, and it's tricky. It's I'm not, like it's hard to actually accept that. It's something I'm trying to figure out too. Is like where what's enough? Like what's the actual end goal here? And what what's what's the what's the boundaries of our lane? What we want to stay in? And I think everyone has to kind of figure that out themselves. Like Paul Jarvis's uh, Fathom Analytics, I think, kind of comes to mind because if anyone's used that, it's it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Not a ton of features, but. They're very clear with their messaging. It's like if you care about privacy, you use Fathom Analytics. And yeah. It's like people aren't using Fathom Analytics because it's some powerhouse analytics tool, right? And they know that. And there's, and I'm sure, I bet you the majority of people that do analytics don't really care that much about privacy. But yeah. there's some subset that really do, and that's their people. And, you know, I would assume they're going to stick to that. Uh, and that means they're not going to be a giant analytics company, probably. I mean, I mean, maybe you can look back at this in five years and see how wrong I am, but maybe that's okay, though. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting asking, like, what is the end kind of outcome you want? And that evolves, obviously. But I'm just like, I'm always thinking, like, to what end? Like, you know, we could take investment, but to what end we could get acquired? But to what end we could uh, try to grow really, really fast and add all these enterprise features? But to what end? Because a lot of those just seem like like right now I'm getting um, paid well and I'm comfortable. I don't my there's nothing on my calendar. Like the, like this is the only this this year is the first thing that should have been on my calendar, but it was like we did this conversation last minute, and so I, I thinking like it seems like sometimes people have this goal of freedom or you know a, more time with their family or 
you know, I don't know what it is. And we just keep adding all of these requirements or um, prerequisites or complexities, layers of complexity, hoping that we'll get there. And I, yeah, I'm just wondering, yeah, I, have you, for you personally, like, what is your end? Because I mean, your team's already 10 people and you took investment from Ernest, right? Yeah, yeah, we took a a bit of money from them and we didn't even need the money. Like we, 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 we were profitable before them. We had, we were cash flow positive. We, we didn't need the money. It was just, you need kind of need to take some, um, to to get investment. We, we did it more for the mentorship uh, network and just the the community that it opens it up to. Cause like me and Ryan have been to microconf, but like, we don't, we didn't have a great like network. Like, like you, you're kind of the polar opposite. You have a great network of, of people in the software world and, 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 you know, people that have done and started large companies and we didn't have that. So we were like, this is kind of a way to, to, to kind of go around the back and like get, get into like a big network of like the software world. And so that, that was, yeah. And get advice. <laughs> but why, like, okay, can we just stay on there for a bit? Because, so let's say you take a hundred grand from Ernest and I, you might've taken more or less, I don't know, but let's say you take a hundred to me, that's like it, the assumption is that you're going to pay that back at some multiple, right? Mm-hmm. It just seems expensive, <laughs> just to, to, <laughs> to play devil's advocate, to get just just to get the network. Like that just seems like do you, like I mean maybe I don't know maybe maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's like three hundred grand or five hundred grand or whatever you end up paying is is worth it. But it just seems like wow, that's that's expensive just to get the the network and membership, the mentorship. Yeah. So let's just say hypothetically it was a hundred grand and let's just say hypothetically, uh, we have to pay back, uh, 400 grand, right? So it's a 300, 300 net is basically the payment for the access, right? Let's just pretend that those are the numbers. Um, yeah, that does sound expensive on the face of it. Um, you know, once, if you get to the point where your business is generating, you know, a million, two million, you know, $300,000 is still a lot of money, but you know, you could do that maybe in a quarter in terms of revenue. Now, and then, and then if you also get to that where it's like, okay, well, by having that mentorship network, if they, for example, help you with your pricing page or help you with uh, plan your plan tiers uh, or introduce you to a new head of marketing, and that mm-hmm. that person or that idea, you know, has a significant change in in, in you know uh, trial to conversion rate, right? Um, then you multiply that over two, three years of people visiting your website, you're talking about it, uh, you know, uh, 300 grand I paid, I made well over a million in that exchange. So I was like, sure, I'll take that deal every day. So it depends on what scale what you're operating at. Yeah, it's just the hard part is you can't split test life. So (laughs) it's hard to know how much you can attribute to. I mean, I I could understand it. um, Like there was a time at the beginning of Transistor where it was like, I was suffering because we weren't, you know, we were at 5k MRR and I'm pouring all my time and energy into this thing. And, you know, I'm (laughs) like, I gotta, I I gotta have some money to live on. Right. But the, once you get to a certain scale, I was like, ah, I don't know. And again, maybe it is like, you're right. Maybe it is a good trade. Like if, if on the whole, all of the cohort, like all of the earnest capital cohorts or any of these other funds too, like if the cohorts 
kind of significantly outperform their peers, then you would say, okay, well, that's probably, that makes sense, right? And, and that's just the money side of it. There, there's, all, there's, all, there's other elements. There's, the, like you were saying, the mental side of it. It's like, okay, so now instead of me and Ryan, Ryan having to figure out everything, um, now we can lean on a group of experienced software entrepreneurs to give us guidance. It's like, hey, how do you think about feature prioritization? Um, you know, should we be thinking about this part of DevOps? Like, what do you do? Like, it, that kind of stuff is like, I don't know if you can put a price on that uh, to like, for example, we got to talk with, uh, you know, Jason Freed about our pricing page. Like, we, I got to have a phone, I got to have a video call with Jason Freed. He looked at our pricing page and told us what to change. And it made an enormous difference in our conversion rate. And it's like, that kind of thing is hard to put a, a price on how much that was worth. Uh, Nat, Natalie Nagel from Wildbit is, is is a mentor of me and Ryan's like she's in, I'm in Philadelphia and so and so is she so like me and Ryan went to physically meet them in their office and like talk about our business for half a day and then give us advice on how to like handle people and to think about growth and like again how much is that worth I don't know but like it's for me it's mentally reassuring to know it's like I have like these you know these giants I can lean on to give me help when I don't know what to do instead of reading their blog posts or listening to their podcasts, which are useful. But a lot of that is, is signal. And I, I, I wanted more of the noise. So, so I, I could actually, cause I'm reading all the mentor, like most of the mentors in earnest, I already was following their stuff, but now I can like go and ask them context specific questions. And like that to me is invaluable. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that it is still like, it's still, I don't know if it's just a mental hurdle, like, and also because, I mean, one of the the old kind of bullshit things that VCs would say is like, you know, go with me, kid, and I'll like take you under my wing and, you know, sh- show you a thing or two. And it, as time has passed and I've looked at a lot of those people that were saying those things, I'm like, that was bullshit. <laughs> like, you're, you're not, there's no... Uh, uh, the advice, and I've, you know, I've consulted for startups and other things, and I've been in part of those. Sometimes they'll have a meeting where they're like, "We're bringing in one of our investors or one of our board members," and it just was not helpful. In a, you know, looking back on it, I'm still open to the idea that it could be different and that could be better. So you say it's already helped you folks, like you're 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 seeing actual like quantitative results yeah quantitative and qualitative like i said there's the emotional side of it then there's the 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 financial side of it and and the the emotional side of it was why we did it more than than the financial side it was just i don't know what i've never run a large software company i have no idea what i'm doing i'm just reading blog posts and trying to figure it out from there and and trying to be good to our customers but once that starts to keep scaling up, it's like, I don't want to make some really stupid mistake and then lose all this stuff that I, all this, this thing, this asset that I've built up. I don't want to, I don't want to screw it up. And so, mm-hmm. so maybe it's partly a fear-based thing, but it's for me to know that I have these people on in my corner that can help me with anything that comes up mm-hmm. and give me sage advice, not just like some random person on the street that I'm asking, like these people know what they're doing. To me, yeah. I, I that feels good. It's like I always have like a like a home base I can go do to ask questions and feel safe, you know. Yeah, no, I totally get it. The one thing um, emotionally that I think it's been surprising for John and I is, you know, we got here, and and so many people 
you know, want to get here. And uh, I've wanted to get here for a long time. And then you get there and there's a little bit of a sense of uh, ennui, uh, ennui, uh, a feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation (laughs) or excitement. Uh, How do you say, because in French it's ennui, but anyway, do you know what I'm saying? Like there's this, this, this feeling of, oh, uh, okay, we're here. And the excitement you had when you're kind of building up to, uh, you know, this thing, paying your bills. And then now we've gone way past it. It's, you know, it's doing well. Have you and Ryan experienced that? And how did you overcome it? So like it kind of dovetails with burnout. It's a little bit, I'd say there's, there's some, they're, they're at least cousins to each other. Um, yeah, I mean, for sure we had, we experienced some burnout type stuff when we were doing consulting and cause you, we were just kind of scrambling and always working as much as we could to make, you know, to try to grow that fledgling thing. Uh, but now that we're mm-hmm. a member space, you know, we're paid a nice salary. We have a full-time team. We give them health benefits. Like things are good. There's no problem right now growing. Um, but it's like, yeah, uh, again, it's, it's to what end, what, what is the goal? What are we trying to get to? Otherwise you're just kind of running and then constantly running. And then like, why am I still running? Where am I going exactly? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And there's, there is a tension between on one hand, it's like, okay, we got here. Why don't we just relax for a bit or, uh, put our focus elsewhere, right? Like, uh, John could start, bacon sourdough bread, which he's super interested in. And I'm want to, uh, uh, I'm like staying up till 3am reading climate change white papers. Um, that sounds healthy. <laughs> uh, uh, so we could invest ourselves in other things and certainly we have the margin to do that. Uh, or we could invest ourselves you know, we could just say, well, no, let's, let's set some new goals for the business and then like invest ourselves in that. And then there's the idea of also like, like for, especially for like, I think John feels this way too, but for me, it's like, I, I never want to, to succumb to that ennui, right? Like I don't, I don't want to succumb to that feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction. I'm always kind of like firing myself up every day going, no, like we got to stay on it because we've all seen businesses where the founders kind of like drifted away and then the business wasn't as good. And so there's all these kind of, uh, you know, different tensions in there. And like for you, do you have a new goal? Like, are you trying to get to $5 billion a year in revenue or like what's, what's driving you professionally now? Yeah. I mean, we, we got to the, you know, the MRR that we wanted to get to, but it's in, we don't want to grow indefinitely. Like I do not, I don't want to be like a $50 million a year business. That sounds like a nightmare, but, um, what's driving me now is like, we have real businesses and real people, you know, using our platform and making a living. Some of them, it's their full-time living is through our platform. And so it's like, I have a responsibility now to maintain this asset that we built and make it better for them. Um, not, not so that I can keep growing our revenue, but because it's like, I mean, you kind of like, you kind of like set up shop. You can't just like not maintain it. Uh, that's not, yeah. That's not, I think, morally okay. So, um, but I think it's important to, you know, as with everything, have balance. So I don't think it needs to be all or nothing. Like either we're like 
let the business autopilot or be 100% sprinting. Like, I think there's a very healthy mm-hmm. area where it's like you put in a solid 40 hours a week and you go do other things. You do hobbies, you do whatever, mm-hmm. you have hard cutoffs to when you stop working. You take, you know, yeah. month long vacations to have like a serious amount of time away, things like that, where it's like mini, mini full breaks. Um, but then you come back to this, the shop that you set up because you have people that are relying on you. And I think that's important. And that keeps me motivated at least. Yeah. So that for you, it's just the idea of like, we've created this thing. There's people using it. We have staff. That's enough to get you out of bed every day. Cause there's some folks, it's like, they get real fired up about just increasing revenue. Like they just want to, so there's like, okay, well we hit 1 million ARR and now we just got to keep going. Right. And, uh, for me, it's like, I mean, maybe I could get fired up about that, but like I relaxed a ton <laughs> once I was getting paid. Well, I was like, I, the making more revenue was not super interesting to me. And so, um, but I do get really fired up about podcasting and helping people launch shows. And like, I, I still really love that stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of thinking like, wow, it's funny, like when you get the when you get to the place that you wanted to be, there's still that there's still got to be something else ahead of you that you're going after, and uh, I can see how that can be dangerous. <laughs> like you can like get there and then just kind of slowly, like I said, just drift away or just kind of like succumb to this feeling, and. Uh, I'm I'm trying to preempt that in some way. Yeah, I think I think focusing on service t- to other people is one of the antidotes to that. To not the goal is not to get revenue to a certain point. Like that is diminishing returns. And I can tell you, as somebody who made a healthy salary when we were doing enterprise sales, that that also is very much diminishing returns. I I'm not. It was good. It was a good lesson. I learned I'm not motivated by money. Like I didn't. I didn't care that my bonus check was, you know, whatever, um, more than the last year. It didn't matter. It's like, I have, I have enough money. I don't, it's not a problem. So, so that I know already revenue doesn't drive me and same with Ryan. So that, that was helpful with doing member space. Cause it's like, we know that just becoming some giant company isn't the end all be all. So for us, at least for me, it's the service to other people to like, I want to help people start a business, uh, and help them make it sustainable. And so like that to me is important. And then also we have people that work for us who have rely on us as a job, uh, you know, for healthcare and salary. And it's like, that's important to me. I want to keep, keep them happy and all that, you know, and that's enough for me. That's enough just to maintain that. I like that a lot because it feels like I do have this feeling of having more margin. One thing about having more margin is I think it does free us up to think about other people. <laughs> like when you're in that desperation cycle, desperation cycle of I'm, I just need to make enough to pay my mortgage and feed the family and all that stuff. Uh, that's very like self-focused. And it's, it's, I think a lot of, in the beginning, every entrepreneur is kind of there. They're just like trying to make enough money to like meet their basic needs. And the weird thing, it's like ironic is that it's almost like a, a switch gets flipped. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, but now we've got tons of money. Like now, now we've got like more than enough. And we, that means we've got more time and like you've got more, you've got less cognitive load. And so with this new margin, what do you choose to do with that? And um, 
yeah, like being other focused feels like a good place to start. <laughs> just like instead of just hoarding all this margin, which is not s- super fun, we can like go out and like actually use that margin to help other people. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that for me keeps, keeps me going. Cool. Well, this was good. I, I feel like I got, I, I, it was nice to talk to someone who's like ahead of us, you know, you've been doing this for a while, but you're not so big that you're, you know, a hundred kilometers down the road or whatever. Yeah. 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 So this was, this is great. Uh, folks that want, actually everyone who's listening right now should go and tweet you at Ward Sandler on Twitter, Sandler, like Adam Sandler. And then you folks are memberspace.com. Yep. Did you have memberspace.com from the beginning? No, um, we, it was, uh, my member space and, uh, we got the Twitter handle member space from you, Justin, if you recall. <laughs> Tell people that story because that's hilarious to me. Yeah. So, what what is it from your perspective? If, if I recall correctly, we were looking on Twitter for the handle at Member Space, and <laughs> it was taken. It didn't say by who, and so uh, I I DM'd the account and asked if I you know hey do you, are you interested in are you still using this or interested in selling it? And it just so happened to be owned by Justin Jackson of all people on the internet because I guess you had some side project maybe you had thought of with it. I mean, I was thinking about starting so many things. And so, yeah, I, I probably registered it at some point and <laughs> I had forgotten about it, I think. And so I was like, oh, oh, because I met you already. And so then I was like, oh, your thing is, your thing is member space? What the? Okay. Yeah, sure. You could have, have it. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, that kind of serendipity. That That's amazing. Yeah, yeah folks, go check out member space. Uh, thanks for being here, Ward. You want to stick around while I read out these Patreons? Sure. You're, you're number three. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Mason Hensley, Boria Solar, Ward Sandler. Thanks for being here. Eric Lima, James Sowers, Travis Fisher, Matt Buckley, Russell Brown, Evandro Sassy. Evandro Sassy, yeah. Uh, uh, Preduma Schembecker, Noah Prail, Robert Simplicio, Colin Gray, Josh Smith, Ivan Kirkovic, Brian Ray, Shane Smith, Austin Loveless, Simon Bennett, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis. We mentioned them earlier. Dan Buda, that's John's brother. Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Sammy Schuchert, Mike Walker, Adam Duvander, Dave Junta. Junta. (laughs) That was amazing. Kyle Fox from GetRewardful.com. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.